Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Hey, buddy. Mr. Klein, up to nine. Mrs. Dell, personnel, Mr. Levin, 37. 36. Walk down. Ladies and gentlemen, please step to the rear. Here comes a gargantuan Mr. Greer. Conversations about Collaboration, Episode 75. Michael McCullough joins me today. He's the Citizen Development Business Architect at Amtrak. We talk about low-code training, Microsoft, and the challenges of running one of the world's largest citizen development organizations. Let's get it on. Michael, how are you today? I'm good. 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 Thanks for agreeing to be on. I'm going to jump right into this um, with a rant. About 70%, I would argue, of my professional frustrations stem from technology at big organizations. And people say, yeah, there's no way to do it better. And going, yeah, there is. And it's remarkable to me, uh, knowing a little bit about your background at Amtrak, because to me, it's government, it's big. We talked before about how there were different enterprise systems. Talk to me a little bit about, even when you started interviewing there, what you saw as maybe some of the challenges and opportunities, because I'm unaware of too many big government organizations, at least in the U.S., that are doing proper work around citizen development? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. Um, So when I first started there, um, I definitely noticed out of any company that I've ever worked at before that uh, we did things very segmented. So uh, quick history behind Amtrak. Uh, We're currently 51 years old. Uh, We were four different organizations that were kind of smushed into one. Um, and it was, you know, waning interest in uh, train travel at the time was just it was out of necessity. But, you know, the the big sticking point was we continued to do business as four separate companies for 45 years before I got there. And when I finally got there, I noticed like, wow, there were systems, there were processes that were just all over the place. And data silos. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Um, so that was certainly a huge, huge challenge. Um, and of course, then, you know, getting into citizen development, that really helped us start bridging those gaps. Mm-hmm. So is there an overriding philosophy there? Is just by way of background, uh, one of the chapters in my new book, I doing the research discovered that there were companies that just use one vendor like Microsoft. And if Microsoft made it, they'd use it. Otherwise, they wouldn't. And you had companies that would evaluate certain tools for a period of time. Other companies said, yeah, it's pretty much anything goes, um, which is a little bit anarchy. And then there were a bunch of ones in between. But um, was it a single philosophy or with it being four different companies or even within that, did different departments have a lot of autonomy to pretty much roll their own? Um, Not well, yes and no. So for the longest time, people were doing their own thing. And it was it was very, you know, uh, a lot of anarchy, a lot of disorganization. Um, but but none of it was really truly citizen developed or low code. Um, you know, when I got there, and I had used this philosophy for the longest time. Use what you have, right? So we were a Microsoft customer, and I kind of bounced into this uh, you know power platform thing and thought, wow, you know, hey, I think this is really gonna gonna work. And so then we just went from there. But um, but. Ever since, you know, so for the past five years since I've been doing this, um, I would say that we now use maybe 
three to four different low code platforms. Uh, so we just got into ArcGIS. Um, and you know they've got some some uh, stuff in there. Uh, we've got a little bit of SAP, uh, the Lightning uh, suite that people have dabbled in a little bit. Now we've clearly used uh, the Power Platform extensively, but yeah, my philosophy is um, you know use what you have and just get the job done. Um, but also have that that bit of governance, that bit of oversight, so that it's not the wild west. How do you manage that tension? I know when PMI released its citizen development book about a year ago, they were big on framework and governance, and, and I'm all for that. But, of course, there's a natural tension between governing things at an organizational or department level and giving people the autonomy to do what they need. In fact, I'd argue that one of the chief benefits of citizen development is that people can build things faster than IT departments or organizations can um, to, can respond to. So is that a big issue there or not so much? Yeah, well, it was at first. Um, and it, not until we enjoyed several years worth of success without incident um, that that they went, oh, okay, wow, this is this is not a bad thing as long as we have somebody looking over it and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of blocking the, the pain points and addressing the issues. And, you know, no program is ever without incident. No program is ever without uh, you know, an oops, but I think it's, you address that oops and you, you show those people who, you know, uh, are typically on board with it. Hey, I've, I've got this. I'm, you know, we, yeah, a mistake was made and we're going to rectify it and then, you know, uh, uh, make sure it doesn't happen again. So, but yeah, I, I think the most important thing is, when you come in, just have those conversations early with kind of really everybody, but especially pay a particular focus. I, want to, I hate using the word naysayers. It's just people who are a little bit leery about the, the citizen development uh, concept. Show them that you're listening to them. Show them that you're, you're, you're serious about the security and the processes and everything. Um, but at the same time, you, you never overstep your bounds on either end. So the citizen developers, they need to develop. They need these solutions quickly and efficiently, and too much governance is going to shut them down, and they'll just find something else. But at the same time, you want to ensure that your CISO department, your, your procurement, your C-suite, that they all understand, hey, this is a program. We take it seriously, but we also need to give people the freedom to create. Mm. Let's go back a little bit to Microsoft because there's a guy who's been on my pod. His name is Matt Wade, and he's a Microsoft Office um, specialist, but he does a lot with the Power Platform. And he put together, I don't know if you've seen it, an off, a Microsoft periodic table of the elements. So it looks a little bit like your high school chemistry class, but it isn't just PowerPoint, Word, Excel. It's lists, it's loop, it's Power Platform. It's, it's probably 35 different things, uh, some of which, of course, overlap. And when I saw this, I said, damn, I actually follow this stuff, and I don't know what at least 10 of these things are. (laughs) I can only imagine, no pun intended, your non-power user. Are there folks that just got, quite frankly, overwhelmed by just the sheer number of tools just within Microsoft, never mind outside of that world? Yeah, no, you're actually talking to one of them. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, sometimes I do get overwhelmed. Um, and I would say that that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for a, uh, a business architect, citizen development uh, business architect. Um, we are, we're the advocate for the developer. We are the guardian of the enterprise. Uh, and that means that we have to understand all the tools that are out there, the updates, and that's a, a great horrible thing that Microsoft has been doing lately is they have a lot of uh, rollouts, like Power BI is updated every month. 
So I have to be, I have to be familiar at least with what has been done. Um, and that, that can be challenging. Luckily, um, you know, Microsoft has a endless world of MVPs and people that are easily approachable. So I was, I always throw out the names, April Dunham, Shane Young, uh, the guys in a cube, um, they summarize all the changes that have been made. They help you get from point A to point B and, and stay relevant in an ever-changing landscape. Hmm. So is there an emphasis there on training? Because it's great that there are these people that put out these resources, whether they're video or blog posts or tutorials or whatever. But if people are busy and overwhelmed because work is complicated and just keeping track of, as you said, Microsoft Power BI, when they may use a number of different tools because Power BI is great for dashboards and data analysis, but it isn't necessarily the best thing for, I don't know, if you just need a quick spreadsheet or something, or certainly a PowerPoint presentation, not to mention, oh, I didn't know that I can actually connect Power BI to, uh, what do they call it now? Power Automate. It was Flow, I think, before, and that could actually automate distribution of things. I mean, is, is training an emphasis over there? Is it pretty much, you know what, you should really take your own initiative on an individual yeah, group level. train a little bit. Um, I, so it's funny. I'm, I'm one of those people. And I think Winston Churchill said it best. Uh, I learn, I love to learn. I hate being taught. And so, you know, Ooh. I, I am one of those people where I love to learn stuff. Right. But, but do not sit in front of me and start doing this because I just like, I shut down. And I, and I think that's most adults in our world is that we learn out of necessity. Right. And so one of the big things that I, I try to enforce or, you know, incentivize in uh, in Amtrak is we have our, our, our team, our citizen development team, and there's just under 500 of us. Um, and everybody has a niche. Everybody has a specialty that they're incredibly good at. And so when somebody needs help within the organization, I have them post to a team's uh, channel and he, we monitor that, right? And so the one penance or price that I, I say that people pay for being a part of this initiative that I am tracking is when somebody asks a question that you know the answer to, or you have the knowledge, answer them, right? You may spend a couple hours a week, you know, uh, getting them through the over the hump or getting them trained up. But in the future, they're going to know something or know somebody that knows something that you need. And so it's, it's, it's back and forth, vice versa. When we talk about training, I'm very careful not to say, hey, let's all get together and I'm going to give you training because, quite honestly, these are the brilliant people doing the things that nobody ever thought of. Um, and really, how dare I train them? It's it's really, I'm going to impart the things that I know to them. I'm going to, I'm going to teach without preaching. Um, I'm going to let them know, hey, this these are the new updates that came out. Uh, these are the new things that we're going to do. Hey, I went to uh, uh, you know a, a conference and these were the things that were important. Or, hey, I've seen all these new job opportunities out there. So I support them without trying to be overly preachy. I love it. And a couple of things. First, with 500 people, that has to be one of the largest citizen development groups in the world. It, it, we're up there. I want to say we're the um, last time I checked, we were like in the top five. Okay. And then I find it interesting that since I mean, formal training may not be the emphasis the informal knowledge transfer takes place and you do it in teams, which I also find interesting because with 500 people, let's say that I love working for you, Mike, I never go anywhere else, but if you've got 500 people, 
even if 99% of people love you, life happens, that means five people a year. You're putting it in teams, and I can rant about this for hours and many times have, it lives there indefinitely. If it were a bunch of emails, right? Oh, I can't find it, or so-and-so isn't in the company, that person's inbox is extinguished. You're actually putting it in, uh, people think about teams as email 2.0. I say, no, it's a knowledge repository. Yeah, it's got messaging features, but that lives forever. So if, I, if you hire me, then I go in there and I look two years ago, right? what are you going to do? If I join the company, send me two years worth of emails and start my inbox with right. 20,000? Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other reasons is, you know, and, and I tell people, um, hey, look, if you're, if you're trying to get a hold of me, I get well over a thousand emails a day that I have to read well over a thousand, right? Um, and so I'm searching through those. And then when I get to, you know, something that's important, I try to, you know, to address all of them. But really, for me, it's like, look, if this is important, if this is one of those things that you really need to get a hold of me, put it in Teams because I will see hmm. that in Teams and it stays there until I open it and address it. And then I've got the time. So uh, a lot of times I just tell folks, hey, you know, DM me in Teams or, or you know, uh, try to call me if I'm available and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get right back to you. Whereas in email, I mean, it literally, it's just an endless sea of garbage for the most part. And then the, uh, with a smattering of important things in there that then get lost in translation. 100%. Um, by the way, uh, I don't think you got the memo. I'm the author here. I'm the one who quotes Churchill. Oh, gotcha. All right, sorry. <laughs> But you mentioned before uh, job characteristics. Um, when I was researching the book, I discovered that there weren't too many jobs. I found a few out there on Indeed.com and some of the other boards that they actually said we're looking for a citizen developer or a business technologist. I found that more often than not, it was a characteristic of a job. So we need a marketing analyst who, by the way, is curious with tech. It isn't just going to go in there and go, tell me what I need to do, but someone who's curious and likes to explore and maybe build things within the parameters that the organization set up. Is that true over at Amtrak? Oh, 100%. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't really, um, none of these folks technically work for me. They all do, but don't. Um, but when I talk to them, when I, when I engage with people, I always say, you know, um, citizen developers are are an interesting lot. We have a natural tendency to question processes. We have a natural tendency to want to solve problems. And we're all looking, just like when I started this journey uh, 10 years ago, um, I was always looking for that one thing that could solve my problem. And there was never anything out there until I found, you know, low-code citizen development um, that really helped me fix those broken processes. So we all have a natural curiosity. We're all project managers in our own right because everything that we do is a mini project or sometimes a big one. Um, but but we're also collaborative. Uh, you know, um, it's just it's a it's an interesting. I think anybody could be a citizen developer, but only a, a certain set I think are uniquely you know, tuned to be a, a really successful one, you know? Yeah. You mentioned curiosity. Are there other characteristics you found that um, successful citizen developers exhibit? Yeah. Um, being very collaborative. So, you know, it's just, uh, for example, this afternoon I was working with our, um, our marketing team, our internal marketing team um, to send out a communication. And it was funny because it was, it was around training. Uh, Microsoft has this really great initiative now. Um, it's uh, enterprise skills 
initiative where if you do a certain amount of business with Microsoft, you get their learning platform, the certifications and training to go along with it for free. Now, this is every product that Microsoft has. So it's a wonderful opportunity. And um, and they only wanted to send it out to the IT folks. And I'm like, you know, um, our job here in IT is hard enough. If we got this training out to the entire company, then that actually reduces the burden on us that we're currently actually failing at is to get training in the hands of people for simple things like Word or PowerPoint or Excel or how to how to set up uh, out of office email uh, notifications. That's something that everybody needs. Yes, then we do have that audience that wants to learn about the power platform and and RPAs and chatbots. But really, let's you know, let's clear. So, so you have to be able to solve problems on the fly and not get frustrated. And so, you know, you just have to you, you have to be almost political, um, strategic at the same time. I think that's probably some of the more uh, successful ones because really anybody can make a, a low code app. Um, but if you if you make, I always say, if you make a low code app and you don't have all your processes, all your ducks in a row, you've just essentially created a very efficient way to fail consistently. Oh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, in the book, I referenced the software, the systems development lifecycle, and I try to convince folks that they need to think a little bit like a proper developer, because if you just release it out there without training, without support, without communication, people don't understand how to use it, or you're on vacation, or there's a bug, you didn't test it. Uh, I would argue that to your point, you're setting people up for failure because there might be this natural desire to use something, but if it doesn't work, you know what, let me just stick with what I know. Because there's always going to be a learning curve, even though a lot of the tools, as you know, vary in terms of how much you can tweak the UI or what kind of customizations you can make. Um, but it's it's interesting hearing it from your perspective. Yeah, I also think, you know, and you just you just mentioned uh, uh, the um, UX and UI. I also think that we're we're all a little bit creative in some ways, yet none of us are actual, you know, artists or or designers. But we have that. Uh, one of my big, you know, challenges that I've always had to overcome is I get I get stuck on like, oh, the color blue in my UI is that really the color? Is that the right shade of blue? And I <laughs> stew around that for hours on end. And um, and you know, so but yeah, I think we're we're all creative as well, um, which sometimes can be a detriment. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. This guy I mentioned before, Matt Wade, has got a sidebar in the book, and he talks about the con- the need for consistency with respect to UI or UX. Because if you use this blue and I use that blue, all right, it's not that big of a deal. But then if your buttons are all over the place and the UIs are different, and I'm using, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, so I'm using Kramer's app. Or, oh yeah, I'm using Jerry's app, so I have to do it this way. I'm using George's app, I have to use it that way. I mean, I getting back to the governance point you made before, I, I can understand the need for some sort of standardization. But I, I agree with your general point. If you make it too standardized, you suffocate folks. And if they are problem solvers and curious and impatient in a good way, then you stifle that creativity. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are there any other challenges that you faced? You mentioned before how sometimes it can be difficult to kind of strike that balance between centralization and decentralization. But it sounds like you're going in the right direction. But from what I know of you, you seem like a pretty balanced guy. I'm sure it's not all um, puppy dogs and uh, lollipops, right? No, no. It, it You know, and I, I would say the other thing is, uh, so perfect example here, uh, where I'm at last week, I'm at our end of year IT uh, function, and everybody's talking about all these awesome things that the IT department has done. 
And there's nary an instance where citizen development or a project that they've done was mentioned. And it was it was pretty upsetting. Um, the year before it was I was just really furious. Uh, and then this year I was upset, but at the same time, um, I want to say we're kind of like the unsung heroes of the enterprise because when things are going great, yeah, life is good and, and things are moving forward. And, you know, when things are bad, that you, it's noticed a little bit more. Um, I, I always try to recognize our citizen developers, our contributors, our supporters. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when you don't get that rec- recognition, it really it's discouraging. For me, I don't look to our senior leadership for recognition for that. What really does it for me when I say like, oh man, hey, we're really doing a good job is when the, you know, the actual citizen developer turns to me and says, you literally just saved my bacon, you know, like you have no idea what this means to me. And I'll turn to them and say, look, you did all the work. I just helped get you there, right? So this is your idea. This is your effort. I just have the back knowledge and the tools to help get you there oh, by the way, I have the relationships with the different entities that I can say, hey, turn this guy or girl loose and let them go and see what they can do. And that's when they go, okay, you know, we'll give it a shot. So, yeah, I think that can be uh, challenging sometimes. Um, Of course, trying to, uh, especially when you're new, trying to get people to understand what is citizen development. It's not just cool apps. It's about processes. It's about relationships. It's about balance. Um, uh, but you know, I would say this, it, it, we know we're doing right when we're constantly finding new things to do, right? If we were just stuck on one thing and we never solved something and, and then it was, uh, it, it was, a it was trendy, it would go away. This is a trend that's not going away. Um, and, and it's always going to have a new challenge to it. So. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and my last question before my standard last question, so my second or penultimate one is, are there any sort of measures or metrics by which they judge you? Or is it more just, we know this is working? Or is there more of a need to quantify? You launch this many apps, you save this much money, you save this much time, or is that still a little fuzzy? No, actually, um, and as a matter of fact, I was just uh, talking with somebody from SiriusXM about this. They're looking to do the same thing. And I said, you know, when I first started this, I needed to make sure that we were doing something that was tangible, that was I could look at and measure and say, you know, uh, green light, red light, yellow light, um, because executives like that kind of thing. And when I went out and looked at, okay, what's an ROI for an app, right? 99 point, actually 100% of what I ran into was, say, for example, Amazon. They built an app for Amazon and my wife gets on her phone and buys diapers or, or, you know, soap or whatever Christmas presents. And they can say for my family, the ROI was this percent. Right. But we don't do that here because we don't we don't produce revenue with our apps. Um, The one hard, fast rule, one of the four or five hard, fast rules that I have here is no app that we own will ever face a customer. Because that's not our that's not our gig, right? And so then, how do we go in and measure that success? Well, I sat down with a good friend of mine, uh, Matt Hubbard, and we kind of talked about it a little bit. And um, I, I was already on the right track with it. Um, I kind of come up with my own little theory. Um, but then he he had said, "Hey, you know, uh, use our black belt 
background and look at look at how we were doing things and now how we're doing things and the time. And then those are things that are measurable. So we look at uh, licensing, uh, time for development, um, overall time implemented, uh, number of end users, and then the actual time savings. And then we, you know, and we can even add in variables like, hey, we were able to cut out this uh, piece of software. We were able to reduce the amount of lawsuits that we would get. Uh, so like for drug and alcohol, our program uses, we're uh, uh, um, part of the drug and alcohol program because we've got three different systems that report in three different ways and we need a common, and you know, you can imagine if you accuse somebody of, you know, using drugs and they didn't, you're probably going to get sued. So um, those are all the different types of things we're able to look at. Um, just the four apps that I personally have worked with, um, and we're getting more people to, to look into, we're talking four years, roughly 1,500 people are using them. We, we've given back about 1.3 million uh, personnel hours back to the company and saved just short of uh, $500 million in process uh, improvement in time. So that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's just four apps that we use for project management. That's amazing. And I would imagine if you did employee surveys, if it used to take them those 500 million hours, I'm guessing that wasn't doing the fun stuff. No, no, it's it's the standard things like producing a, a project report that would take them, you know, 12 hours a week, one person, you multiply that by 1500 people. It's yeah. No, I, I, I wish we had this conversation, I don't know, 16 years ago when I was working at a job and I was supposed to produce this ridiculous Excel monstrosity report and I'm, I knew pivot tables, I knew access, I wanted to break it up. I said, no, it usually takes people in this job about three days per month. I said, it's insane. Yeah. Um, well, I will get you out of here on this. What either book are you currently reading or show are you currently watching? Uh, I'm currently watching uh, Yellowstone. Uh, the How is that? I, it looks good. It is amazing. Um, it's I love it because it's um, so Taylor Sheridan, the author of the he writes a bunch of different shows. Uh, um, Mayor of Kingstown, uh, the Tulsa King and a few other ones, 1883, 23 uh, is getting ready to come on and uh, Yellowstone. And he writes it from, you know, so maybe to throw it back to uh, 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 citizen development. From a person's point of view, it's not Hollywood. It's it's every person's experience. It's what we've all been through, and so I like that. It's it, a lot of it is very realistic, yet it's still a story, and we can all kind of relate to it. Um, plus, the actors. It's just a great storyline. So, yeah, I've heard good things. And yeah. yeah, Mike, thanks so much for being on. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However. If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.